We continue to share in Navi. We are still listing the miracles performed by Elisha Hanavi after the Estalkus of Elia Hanavi. The last miracle we started to discuss was the case of Naaman, Naaman the general of Aram, who was very much liked by the king of Aram. He was his favorite. Naaman was the person, remember, who had killed Ahav, who was a hero in Aram. And he had everything that any person could desire, power, wealth, and so on, but he was afflicted with a fatal case of leprosy. He would have given up, except that he had now a young girl, a Jewish girl that was captive, taken captive from the Jews, worked for him as a maid, and she revealed to him the existence of a Navi, a prophet, with such miracle powers that even dead and be brought back to life. The cure, a case of leprosy, is tantamount, equivalent to bringing back a dead person to life. Similar to Pierce Mason. And by performing this act, Elisha would finally show or display the Kishnayim, double powers that he inherited from Eliyadavi. Show this double power meant that Leonavi had brought back to life one person from the dead. Leonavi had brought back one child by curing them, when he would now have two to his credit. As we said, <coughs> Naaman was sent by the king of Aram to uh, the Jews with a note sent first to the king of the Jews saying, I'm sending Naaman to you, and see that you cure him from his leprosy. King cried out terror, tore his clothes in anguish, and said that this is a trick. The part of the king of Aram, demanding me to cure one from leprosy, is only a ruse in order to attack. He's looking for an excuse, and this is it. Elisha Hanavi sent a message to the king of the Jews telling him that why do you tear your clothes? Let Naaman come to me and let him know that there is a prophet among the Jews. I will not do it for your sake because you don't deserve it. You was an idol worshiper. I'll do it for the sake of the covered, the honor of Hashem. Let the covered of Hashem be known amongst the nations of the world. So Naaman headed directly for the house of Elisha Hanavi. When he came there, he was kept waiting outside. <clears throat> he was not admitted inside. He was amazed. He used to be given an audience to explain his case to this, this prophet, this holy prophet. Instead of being admitted inside, Elisha Hanavi sent a messenger out to him and said to him, you have leprosy, you want to be cured. These are your instructions. Go, bathe, dip yourself seven times in the waters of the Yardane, the Jordan River, and your flesh will return to normal. You become completely pure and healed. That was the extent of the message. Now that heard this, he went into a wild rage and he started to leave, cried out in anger. 
Here I thought, well, here I see something real dramatic. He would, Papa would come out, stand before me, and he'd stand and loudly cry out Hashem and Tfilah. Then he would raise his hand like a magic wand over my leprosy, and he would make the leprosy disappear. He'd show a miracle being performed. Instead, he says to me, go bathe seven times in the dirty waters of the Yarden. Uh, if it's a question of bathing in the water, we have the spiced rivers of Damascus, special perfumed waters that are cures for so many diseases. Aren't they better than all the waters found in Israel? If to bathe, I could bathe in them and become cured. So he turned away very angrily and started to leave. The servants approached him, and they said to him, why don't you be patient about this? Why don't you study the statement you just received? What Elishanavi sent to you is a very important message. The message is obvious. He told you to do something which is so commonplace that people have been doing it for years, for centuries. Something which we know definitely, without a shadow of doubt, is worthless as far as therapeutic value. The waters of the Jordan can cure nothing. He said it, showed that he is proving to you the true value of a miracle. A miracle in two sense. Miracle means the power of a prophet to perform something from practically nothing, to do the impossible. Now, your duty is to accept with faith the greatness of the Nabi, greatness of this prophet. Why don't you try it and see? Have a little faith and perform the act that Elisha Nabi told you to do. What can you lose? That's the point. So Naaman realized he was wrong because after all he hadn't even tested the words of Elisha Nabi. He felt a little ashamed. So he went with trepidation, anxiety, and fear to the waters of the Yardin. He dipped himself once, twice, three times, looked at his arms, looked at his skin. Snow white. Leprosy means the skin turns white as snow and flaky. He is to flake off. There's no change at all. There was no gradual improvement. It didn't begin to turn a darker shade. Fourth, fifth, sixth time, he was still exactly as before. Now, one iota of a shade darker, the same snow white flaky skin. Seventh time, he went down with a last last hope. But he felt that this, what was necessary now, was this faith. He went down for the seventh time. And of course, the seven, in general, he was told to bear seven times, because seven stands for the source of cures. Source of cure is seven spheres. Nice that effect, especially in Malchus, seven spheres from which comes forth only Shefa. All that is good, all that is curative, all that is blessed. He went down for the seventh time, he came up, looked at his skin, and cried out in joy. Because it was as though he had never contacted leprosy at all. He was completely cured. He was so elated 
so jubilant that he rode back quickly to Elisha Navi, and there he begged, he went inside to see him now, he begged him to please take the gift he had brought, a whole caravan full of expensive cloths, materials, silver coins of all kinds. Elisha Levy told him that he refused absolutely, he would not take any type of pay for this, enough that he had witnessed the miracle done by a prophet of the Jews. He told him to give credit where it is due. See now the fact that you were there all your idols, they did not help you at all. You see where the true power is. Melbourne replied, yes. Let me, if I cannot give you something, allow me to take something from you. Allow me to take a pair of mules loaded with the soil of Israel. I want that earth, take it back with me, and there to build from this earth in our own build them as Baal, an altar. And henceforth, when I offer sacrifices, it will be to Hashem only, to show that my faith is pure in Hashem. Dublin was now called a gear. In a sense, in a sense, he was a convert. Converted at least as far as turning away from idol worship to belief in Hashem. Which means a, a gear Seishon. Now, at the same time, a very strange request was made by Naaman too. The Yomar speaks about this request because there are certain laws that we can derive from this. Naaman said to Elisha Hanavi, once a person converts and becomes a Jew, he is obligated to believe fully. It's no longer a matter of privilege or option. It is compulsory. A Jew who goes to visits an idol takes part in idol worship, has no excuse for his action. In this case, Naaman said, I want permission to be excused. When the time comes, he said, when he has to go into the place of idol worship, because since he is the close associate, the close aide of the king of Aram, the king uses him to lean on as a sign of his, his favorite subordinate, he leans in as he enters into this place of idol worship, and as he leans down, he forced Naaman to bow down to with him. He said, that's one thing I ask to be forgiven for. I go there, he said, you know that my heart will be only belief in Hashem, but physically, choir be required of me to bow to the idols too, since being with the king, there's no way out. And Elisha Lami answered, yes, you may go. You cannot say this to a Jew. It's impossible to tell a Jew that no matter what reason it is to go into a place of idol worship, to bow, even if in your mind you have something else, you know, some other intentions, some other motive, it is forbidden for a Jew to bow at all. Recall the story of Hannah and his seven sons. The king asked the youngest son not even to bow to his statue, just to pretend he's, pretend he's bowing more, actually to go bend down and pick up his ring to the floor. And his son said, better to die than to have someone else think of bowing to a statue. What is that called? That's called Kiddush Hashem. 
to sacrifice one's life even for what may be misconstrued as idol worship. The Lord says we see here that a goy, even a gateshav, is excused from this rule of sacrificing his life, giving his life for the sake of King Shashem. Not included in that law. With this, Naamon left, a very happy frame of mind. He felt badly only about the fact that he was a big sport. He would like to have paid, shown his gratitude materially. At least Shanami had rebuked him. He refused to accept anything at all. No gift of any size whatsoever. So he started to leave slowly. He rode off with his servants, caravan following behind him. He rode off into the distance. And Lishanavi's student and servant, Gehazi, who was his Nishamesh Bakadish, who was his closest servant, served him constantly, now felt that a mistake had been made by his master. You have a chance to get such wealth, to turn it down, what harm can it do to accept it? So Gehazi thought to himself, Lishanavi is locked into a <coughs> private room. There's no, there are no windows, no means of seeing what's going on outside. There's no harm if he would go and get some of the stuff himself. What harm could there be? So he ran after the caravan, and Naaman turned suddenly and saw the servant of Lishari coming to him. He leaped off his horse, waited for him, and said, Is there anything wrong? What can I do for you? Gehazi replied, nothing at all wrong, it's just that we have some a couple of students who came in suddenly. We need some supplies for them. If I can get a little bit uh, uh, material for clothes and some silver, Abba was overjoyed. He said, fine, here's uh, two bushels full of silver and some material. In fact, take the whole thing if you want. And Gehazi said, no, 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 just, this is fine. Two little, two sacks of silver material, that'll do very well. Nama said, well, let me at least send along my service to carry it for you. He couldn't refuse that, so they carried it until he came to the door of his home. And there, Gehazi took over, carried these, these little sacks, very silently tiptoed past the door of Alisha Hanami, closed door. As he passed that door, Suddenly he heard a voice, Gehazi, come in. He dropped the loot and walked in, very filled with fear that he had been caught despite the precautions he had taken. He walked in, stood before Lishanavi. Lishanavi asked him, Gehazi, where have you been? Gehazi replied, oh, just here and there. That was his reply. Lishanavi said to him, Don't you realize, don't you know me long enough to know that I saw a solid wall came, but I could see and I saw one certain one leap off his horse towards you and give you this, this tainted gift, a gift that's so stained because you knew it was against my wishes. You took this gift because you want silver to buy for yourself luxuries, make yourself servants. Well, this silver is yours. You can have the silver. But with the silver goes something else. With the silver goes death twice. 
death twice means you must die here, you also must die in the future world. Death there means that a person goes to Gehenna, never goes to Gehenna, if I to show. That's what your sentence is. Now, one thing, you cannot be saved from death here, that you must get, and it will not be a regular death. You're simply going to transfer the leprosy that Nama just dropped to you. You will now have the silver with the leprosy that goes with it. As far as the other death is concerned, I'm going to transfer that so that your sons too, you have your three sons, your three sons too will have the same leprosy. Because it means that you, your sons will die, and one whose sons die it is considered the same as the death penalty in itself. What is good about that, the way I'm giving it to you, he said, is because there's nothing worse than losing Elam Haba, losing the future life the hereafter. Because you have served me in the past, and the chus of David Shamesh at Sadiq is so great, that, that will save your Gan for you. In other words, you lost life, children will have leprosy too, but I have salvaged your Gan for you. You still have Gan forever afterwards. This very next second, he walked out and was white as snow at the foot, completely covered with leprosy. This is the temporarily the end of the story with Naaman. <coughs> we'll come back to the sequel to this very soon. First, meanwhile, we go on to a brief case of another miracle performed by Alicia Navi. We said we're recording the miracles of Alicia Navi. He was sitting together with his students, and suddenly the Talmudian student said to him, the room is, is uh, very oppressive, There's very little room for us. You must have wider space. Yomara says, why suddenly did the students ask for more space? Yomara answers that Gehazi was not as good as we might have thought. Gehazi was jealous. Gehazi had some evil traits, and so he forced students away from Alicia Hanavi. Because of him, the number had dwindled, and once Gehazi became a leper, he was forced to leave the camp, so the gates were now open for new students to, to come, or for old ones who had left to come back, to return. Now, many, many students now are added to the rosters of Alicia Hanavi, that's why there was a need for more space. They decided to build new huts, and so they went to the forest to cut down trees. Right at the water, the edge of the water of the Jordan, let these trees into the water, let them float down these logs to a point where they would build the clearing. As they were cutting the trees down, each one using his own hatchet, one of the students of the Shalami cried out, My hatchet! just slipped out of my hands, fell into the river, and it sank to the bottom of the river. How can I continue working without a hatchet? Nishinavi said to him, where is this spot exactly where did it sink? He showed him the spot. Nishinavi took a piece of wood, a small piece of wood, and dropped it into the river exactly at that spot. Wood 
a very light thing which will float. A hatchet is compact metal, iron or steel. According to the physical rule of water displacement, steel cannot float. In this case, the miracle occurred where this piece of wood sank to the bottom and the hatchet floated up to the top of the water. The student retrieved the hatchet and went about his work again. This was one of the miracles. The miracle means something which is supernatural, against the laws of nature. Now, we come to the next important case, where the king of Aram, this is later on the king of Aram, in attacking the Jews, used some schemes where he would fool, trick the Jews, lure them to a place where they'd be caught, a place of ambush. These were secret places. No one knew about this except the king himself and his closest aides. The king prepared an ambush where the Jewish king and his soldiers would go. They'd be caught there and massacred. As the king had his ambush prepared, Nishanavi sent notice to the king of the Jews, be careful not to go to this certain spot because there is an ambush there. So, King of the Jews is saved. The king of Aram was disappointed as to why this ambush failed. He tried a second time, a different place. Again, Elishalami sent warning to the king of the Jews not to go to the spot. Finally, the king of Aram became aware that something was wrong and he said, There is definitely a spy among us. Someone is revealing our military secrets to the enemy. I want that spy found out. I want that spy executed. The servants told the king of Aram, you forget, there's no spy among us. The spy is actually this Jewish prophet who sees the distance. You can see what's going on, even as to what's going on inside your heart, even that which you don't reveal to anyone. The king of Aram said, in that case then, we must execute a prime enemy of ours. Let us send a band of soldiers to the city where this prophet is staying. What city is that? The city of Dason. There, make sure that you get a good hitman to clear, once and for all, clear this, this main target, enemy of the people of Aram. So he sent an army to choose Dason. City, the, that city of Dason, of course, <clears throat> there were no defenders in that city. A very small town. Nishanavi was there practically alone, together with his servant, a different boy was with him. And there was no way to, to defend himself, especially when the king of Aram, who wanted to be certain that he would liquidate this prime target, sent not just a small band of soldiers, but a regular full-sized army to Desan. Whole army against one person. As they came, the servant of Elisha Navi began to cry out in terror. He said, there's, seems there's an army of the Arabs coming towards us, and surely they're going to kill us. Elisha Navi said to this boy, don't worry, because your eyesight is poor. What do you see? I see an army of Arabs coming, fully equipped. He said, what do you see from our side? I'm looking, I don't see anything. He said, look again. 
Rameshwari cried out to Hashem and said, Give this boy a better eyesight. Give him a 20-20 vision. The boy looked and said, Wow, we, our army is bigger than theirs. We've got a tremendous army here that's much larger than theirs. No, you're not worried anymore? Good, then. I don't keep quiet. And wait till the enemy comes to us. The boy stood there calmly. He watched the enemy coming. He wasn't worried because he saw behind him big giant soldiers waiting to make contact with the enemy. This was all, of course, his own imagination, which showed the power of not hypnotism, of course, that we cannot use that word, it doesn't really exist. But an illusion, optical illusion, where only this boy would see that. As the Arabs came in, the Amiran came in, so Elishlavi said another word, and they were all stricken blind. Every one of the soldiers was stricken blind, and he approached them and asked them, what are you looking for? And they said, we're looking for the Navi, Misha. He said, well, you came on the wrong road. Let me take you the right road. He led them off, and they saw to the city of Shemrin, that was the capital city of the Jews, where the large, comparatively large Jewish army was. They brought them right to the king of the Jews. The king of the Jews saw them, Elishanami leading this army right into his own trap. The king said to Elishanami, Shh, my father. Father means like saying, they use the word father, of course. That's how they use this rabbi like a father, leader. This time he spoke with respect. My father, he said, shall I strike them down, the enemy? Elishanami said, yes, you strike down the ones that you capture. The ones that you're victorious over strike, and not the ones that I bring to you helpless. What you do is prepare a good, heavy meal for them. Treat them nicely as guests, then send them back. Let them report what kind of a welcome they received, how cordial this was, and perhaps the king of Aaron will stop attacking. So the Jewish king did this, and they returned. This was Again, one of the miracles of Elisha Navi. Of course, the, what was special about this illusion, the part of his boy, his servant of his, was that what made this boy quiet, and strangely, the purpose for a miracle, miracles not done in vain. But Elisha Navi had to have silence. This boy crying, terror, would have warned the soldiers as they were coming. For some reason, he needed the silence. In order to quiet this boy, Special miracle was done. The boy could see a vast army behind them, but it wasn't an ordinary army. He saw was coachmen, horsemen, coaches, all of them are made of fire. Humans made of fire like angels. So these were his side, these are our side, this, these fiery men. The boy, of course, was pacified. Now, the king of Aram saw that it was people to try to get to Elisha Rabbi, so he left, he let the, this thing pass. Sometime later, again, the king of Aaron laid siege to the city of Shemran. His name was Ben-Hadad, it's along the cross of the Syrians, it's a very common name today among the Syrians, Hadad, Ben-Hadad. Look in the phone book, you'll find Ben-Hadad. No relation, possibly. This was the Syrian king. He was not Jewish. 
and he laid siege to Shemun, laying siege meant that he expected to destroy them simply by closing them off from the outside world, meaning they'd have no chance to purchase any food supplies. So, naturally, once the food supplies were consumed or used up, a famine broke out in the city of Shemun. This famine became worse, its hunger was multiplied each day, until it became unbearable. Beginning, they would have no food to eat, they would have to take their horses, mules, eat that. Eventually, they'd have to go much worse than that. It came to a point, we come to a story which we mentioned a few weeks ago, began to clarify, was mentioned by mistake, this took place in the time, years before, actually this is the time that this took place. At this moment, when Ben-Hadad laid siege to Shemun, this is when the two women came before the king of the Jews. Uh, he was standing on top of the wall of the city, bemoaning the fate of his people. These two came crying to him. One of them came crying for justice. He asked, what do you want? And she said, I want help. He said, you want help? You mean this famine? If Hashem does not help you, how can I help you? She said, you can't, because I want justice, I want to sue my neighbor. We made a pact, an agreement, that the family got so bad, we each have a son. We do lots. We said that one day, one of us would slaughter our son, we'd both eat the flesh. Initially, the next day, the second one would slaughter her son, we divide that. Mine came out first. I kept my side of the pact. Now, she refuses to surrender her son. I want justice. I want her son surrendered and killed just as mine was. The king heard this. He tore his clothes in anguish. And he swore that Elisha Hanavi is going to lose his head today. He will be beheaded today because this is all his fault. As much as the king was not not fearing, as much as he would spread idol worship, he still had enough respect Elisha Navi, enough knowledge and faith to know that he was a prophet to possess miracle powers. So if he did not affect a Yeshua, a victory for the Jews, in the case of this famine, it was done deliberately. He placed the blame for this famine at the door of Elisha Navi. So he sent the messenger to Elisha Hanavi, and with the instructions, kill Elisha Hanavi, the Jewish messenger sent by the Jewish king. This messenger came before Elisha Hanavi, and Elisha was sitting with his students, and the elders inside this room. He told the elders, I can see, well, you can see across the bar, I can see the king sending his messenger here to perform an act of murder, to kill me. Not only that, the king is walking right behind him. And when they come, let me handle this. Let the messenger through first and then close the door. The messenger came, and the messenger pleaded with Elisha Navi. He said, I know that you are holy, and I dread the thought of having murder on my record. I should be guilty of murdering a holy prophet. Please spare me that. So Elisha Hanavi said to 
messenger, let me speak to the king better. He's right behind you. The king came in. He said to the king, your problem is this famine, right? Well, the answer to your problem is that right now, for all the gold that the Jews possess, you cannot buy one spoonful of flour. Tomorrow, you'll be able to buy a giant bushel of flour for a small silver coin. The king always walked with a servant whom he leaned on. The servant was a close aide to the king. Usually these servants possess arrogance. The only Hebrew was chutzpah. The king remained silent. The servant spoke up very derisively, mocking Elisha Navi. He said to him, Is Hashem going to create windows in heaven? He'll have this dropping out of his windows. Very mocking tone. Elisha Navi replied to the servant, well, you're going to see this happen tomorrow, but you're not going to partake of this at all. Miracle will take place tomorrow. You'll see it, but you'll have no pleasure from this miracle. That'll be your punishment for mocking me. So, shortly afterwards, Torah <clears throat> says that this step this was taking place. There were four men outside of the boundary of the Jews by law. These four men were four lepers. All they're stricken with leprosy. They wore Gechazi and his three sons. But more a leper is not allowed to enter within the confines of the Jewish camp. They should be outside. They said there's no sense in going in to try to find food by the Jews. The army of Aram is, is laying siege to the city. Let's see if we can sneak over to them and get something. What can we lose? If we lose our lives, our lives are worth nothing anyhow. We're starving to death. So, they said, let's take this chance. They sneaked down towards the army of Aram. Before they had gone there, Hashem performed a miracle. Still the words of Elisha and Avi. And a panic overtook the army of Aram. The panic was so great, they thought they were being attacked from all sides. Suddenly, filled with an overwhelming fear, they leaped up and ran. They left everything behind. There was food cooking, prepared. They even left their horses. They ran by foot. They left clothing, food, horses, everything they had, all their wealth behind. They just took off and ran. The entire area was strewn with garments. It was bedlam. Now, this, this scene, these four men came. They looked into the first tent and they found the supplies there, no one there. They went further. Each place they went, they saw food. They didn't ask questions. They sat down and ate. Deal for the first time in so long a period. They came to the next tent, again food. They tried to eat again. In the third tent, as much as food was desirable, they had a limited capacity. So they said to each other, this is really a crime. Why should we gorge ourselves with this precious food, we have a chance now to deliver such important good news to the Jews. It's simple that we hesitate even for a moment. Let's go back and report this to the Jews. So they came back, they called out to the guard at the top of the wall, tell the king that we came to the camp of Aram, and 
Everything is strewn about Talmel. There's no sign of life. The king was told about this, and he said, this might be a trap. So his advisors said, let's send just a few men there, take the risk, give them the, the couple of horses we have left. This is our last chance. They did this. The men came back quickly and reported that it was true. The army of Aram had left. Apparently, they panicked. And actually, happened, of course, they panicked because they suddenly got the message, mental message, that the Jews had hired Egypt to do battle against them. And that's the way to destroy Rishon. The Gemara says that the way to destroy Rishon is to so plant the seed of suspicion and mistrust among them. As long as there is no unity among Rishon, it's automatically a victory for the Tzadikim and the Jews. I have Syria suspected Egypt is going to attack it. This brings about this unity, and that's how meanwhile Israel enjoys victory. This is what happened here. So the king sent the army down, and they tried to hold back the people. They brought all these supplies back, tried to hold back the people from going into to get some of this food. So much was brought inside that suddenly the prices dropped. Till for a seller for a silver coin, you can buy a whole bushel of wheat. King said, "There's a mad rush for this. We have to have a guard at the gate to the city. So he placed as a guard his trusty servant, the one he leaned on, the one who had mocked Elisha and Ami the day before. As he stood there guarding the gates to the city, this crowd came surging forward, and he stood there alone." They bowled him over, he was trampled underfoot, he was crushed, killed, to fulfill the words of Elisha Hanavi. Because you dared to mock the Navi, therefore you will see this miracle with your eyes. You see the price go down, the availability of food to such extent, that you'll never have a chance to partake of any of it. This was the fulfillment of the prediction of Elisha Hanavi, <coughs> and an additional case of miracles performed by him. Come to the next brief case where Elisha Hanavi had told the Shunamis, mother of the child who he brought back to life, to go move, live outside of Israel during this famine. She went <coughs> to among the enemies, land of the enemy. She stayed there for seven years. In the seven years, she came back. During this time, her home and her land had been confiscated. She came back. The problem was how to regain her home. So the, she had no recourse but to turn to the king himself. Because by law, once she had been away for that period of time, it meant that she had actually surrendered legal ownership. So she decided to come to the king and plead with the king. At that moment, the king happened to be speaking to Gehazi. The king was talking to Gehazi about, he was intrigued, about Gehazi's master, Elisha Navi. He asked Gehazi, you served Elisha Navi for so long, tell me some of the miracles you saw before. He said, well, one of the greatest miracles was seeing Elisha Navi bring back to life a dead child. Amazing miracle. At that moment, this woman was coming in. 
And he said, in fact, there's the woman whose child he brought back to life. He was so impressed with this timing that he asked her what she wanted. And she replied, I had taken away a field. The king ordered one of the servants to immediately go take this woman back with her and see that everything is returned to her to the last detail. So she got her field back. One single item occurred, though, in this story, dealing with Gehazi, which we'll discuss in the next year. Very vital item. It's one of the basic rules, basic one of the four basic rules that exist, known as the key to get Eden. We'll discuss that in the next year. Meanwhile, again, we are discussing now basically the powers of Elisha Hanavi, which mean the powers of the Tzadik Emes. We believe firmly that these powers were not listed to show only the greatness of Elisha Hanavi, but to show says the power of Tzfilah, because how did Elisha perform these miracles? Only with Tfilah. Tfilah with Tzadik Emes is all-powerful. Those who have a Muna with Tzadik Emes are zechot to the source of his Tfilahs. Let us hope that with this Muna, we add our Tfilahs too.